This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue in the prophet Micah with prophets denounced, the mountain of the Lord's house, the Lord of the whole earth, O little town of Bethlehem, and a remnant delivered. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. We have an opportunity today to do something that we don't often do, and that is to compare and contrast in a good way the offerings from the one-year lectionary, where we will find in the third Sunday of Advent the messengers from John the Baptist who languishes in prison, and the offerings of the three-year lectionary, where again John the Baptist is featured, but in John's Gospel, the first chapter, introduced as a man sent from God. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live on this Monday afternoon, December the 11th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. A joy to be with you. So we have on this particular Sunday, at least in our practice at the congregation where I serve, we have a rose candle, a pink candle, some would say, on the Advent wreath. Mm-hmm. And then this is something we do not have simply because we don't have the pyramids for it. There can also be what appears to be pink pyramids, the pastor's garb and the altar and the pulpit and the lectern. Yeah. What's that about? That's an interesting uh, feature of this particular Sunday. Let's just note that the LSB altar book specifically says that the color of the day is to be either the violet or the, the blue. But the altar guild manual for the LSB specifically mentions the possibility of the traditional rose for the day rose colored. I know it looks pink. I used to drive Dr. Lee Maxwell crazy because we would always say pink and he would say, it's rose. It's not pink. So whatever, it looks pink to me. So that was allowed as an option. And then in the recently published companion to the services of the Lutheran service book, you have the, the, the same feature. Let me actually just cite from what they say, because uh, this kind of explains the color. They say, if a rose candle is also used, presumably with violet for the other candles, it should be lit on Advent 3. So there's a stop note that a lot of churches seem to think that because it's a different color, you light it on Advent 4. That's not correct. This is the lighting for the for the third Sunday in Advent. The lighter color, the book goes on to say, signifies the historic emphasis on rejoicing that distinguishes that Sunday, Latin for Gaudete, Latin for rejoice, 
prior to the intensified watching and waiting and prayer that characterizes the final days leading up to the nativity of our Lord, days which are actually very much concerned with the O antiphons and, and, and intense days of anticipation. So along with a rose-colored candle, rose-colored paraments and vestments, as mentioned above, are also appropriate to Gaudete with either the one-year or the three-year lectionary. The rose color, essentially a lighter shade of violet, underscores the rejoicing of the church in the words and the promises of Christ. The light shines in the darkness, and so do we, who now reside in the prison house of sin, rejoice in the hope of that which is not yet seen, but which is coming. Of course, there is rejoicing throughout Advent, but it is otherwise tempered by sober repentance and patient humility as we wait upon the Lord. So far for the uh, Companion to the Services book. Very helpful note, though. So this Sunday in an Advent actually has a twin, which is Litare in Lent. It's the only other day of the church that also has rose. It's the fourth Sunday in Lent, and it's a preparation for the joy that's coming at the end of the feast. And it's a way of saying to people who are observing the fast, hang on, guys, it's almost over. It's that kind of a day of rejoicing. That's the spirit of Gaudete. We should say something here since you've mentioned, Lynn, that while they are both penitential seasons, they're different from one another. At least I've noticed this. The Lenten hymnody tends to be, in its tone, more somber. Mm-hmm. And Advent, while a repentant season, tends to not have that tone. It's Maybe some of them are a little more ominous, like low he comes with clouds mm-hmm. descending or something like that, depending on how you're singing it. But some of them are downright joyful. Yeah, and that joy that bubbles underneath of Advent really is, is because, well, it's the two things. The joy of the coming of Christ in the flesh, the joy of God with us, of incarnation, our Emmanuel, and the joy of Christ coming again to rescue his people from all sorrow. This joy is an irrepressible joy of the church, and it literally bubbles right through Advent. Yes, it's a penitential season, and you'll hear that in some of the hymn, and even the one, the hymn, the hymn we'll look at today. But at the same time, the undercurrent of joy is irrepressible and unmistakable in Advent. In Lent, there is joy, too. But it's something very different when you're gathering around the manger to stare at God taking human flesh from the Blessed Virgin, and when you're watching the one who has taken flesh from the Virgin being made to suffer and being nailed to a tree and finally expiring on the tree to blot out the sins of the world. It is a more somber season because of that focus on Good Friday, what Good Friday will bring. And that's a joyful day. I mean, we should never mistake that. Good Friday is a beautiful day, but it's not the kind of day that calls forth the sheer giddiness that the incarnation of Christ does. You had mentioned the name of this, and that gets us into the intro for the third Sunday in Advent. Yeah, the intro, it literally kicks off with that word Gaudete. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I'll add the intro. It traditionally goes on with, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. In other words, this epistle reading, which will be, you know, it's the, the traditional epistle reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent, that is 
the beginning of the intro it's for today. It's just a sheer explosion of joy. Then it moves from Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5 down to, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob, quoting Psalm 85. And then our version currently now goes on to give a lot more of Psalm 85. Originally, that was just the end of it, and then you went right back to, the, the well, after the Gloria Patri, you would go right back to uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. But it goes on. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And then back to the joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So, it's just a, a beautiful note of joy that rings out at the start of this liturgy. How does the collect for this coming Sunday read? We've noticed in Advent that the first Sunday we had a collect addressed to Christ, and similarly here on this third Sunday in Advent, we have a collect directly addressed to Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. We implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And that prayer is deliciously ambiguous, isn't it? What is this gracious visitation? Are we talking about his coming into the flesh, which will bring us joy at the nativity feast? Are we talking about the way he comes to us still in the sacraments? Yeah. Are we talking about his coming at the last day, which will be a source of great joy and which will forever banish the darkness of our hearts? Yes, we're praying for all of those things wrapped up in this beautiful collect, begging that the Lord Jesus would come with his light and scatter the darkness. He is the light that no darkness can overcome. And we pray, do that now in us, in our hearts, in our lives, in the lives of those we love. This may be the shortest collect. I don't know if there's one shorter, but this one it's, lacks, it's really short. Yeah. It lacks a lot of the features of a collect. It just goes straight to the ask and to the wherefore of the prayer. Yeah, and I'm going by my memory here. I think it actually is expanded a little bit in this version. I think it is much more along the lines of Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayers and lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. It's even shorter. It really is very concise. That, by the way, is a feature of the collects themselves. The original Gregorian or Galatian collects are very spare in their words. They're rich, but they're very spare in their words. As time goes on, the collects tend to get fatter. <laughs> you know, they, they put on some more flesh. And this is just one of the classic old ones. That brings us to our Old Testament reading, which begins at the first verse of Isaiah 40 and could go to 11, or you can... Stop it. Verse at eight. Eight, yeah. I would honestly recommend stopping at eight, especially since our, our association with the, the, the rest of the pericope with Christmas itself. Go tell it on a mountain, if you will. So Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, this beautiful picture of how God is commanding his people to be comforted because he's laying down this beautiful highway, which will open up the way for his people to walk on a straight way home to him. But then I think this next section, I kind of disagree with where the quote marks are. So let me read it to you as I think it actually should be. A voice says, cry. And I said, what am I supposed to cry? I would keep the quote mark going. What am I supposed to cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people is grass. And the response, I think, from Yahweh is, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that is the great thing that John the Baptist, of course, is sent to proclaim. He's sent to proclaim the word that endures forever. And he points to Jesus as that word. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are going through the Propers for the third Sunday in Advent, according to the one-year lectionary. We are approaching the Gospel reading, The Messengers Come from John the Baptist. We'll get to that in a bit after the break. Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod School? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org.
slash schools. Folks, you have 10 days left to order Christmas gifts from Ad Crusoe. Ad Crusoe will be taking orders through December 21st for Christian jewelry, art, coffee mugs, books, and more. Visit today, adcrusum.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're looking forward to the third Sunday in Advent, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Will Whedon. Well, before we leave that Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40 behind, why did the Reformers adopt that verse as essentially the motto of the Lutheran Reformation, the word of the Lord endures forever, or in its shortened version there? Well, you know, when when they were confronted by so much uncertainty in the church at every stage, everything that they were being told did not, it wouldn't hold. Hey, you got to be in fellowship with, with the Pope. Which Pope? Right? I remember they were right in the century before Luther, what, there were three Popes all at once, or was it four? I can't remember. No, there were three, and then they deposed all three and put a new one in. And you had to be in fellowship with everyone. Well, they mutually excommunicated everyone. They were like, this is so confusing. How do we even know? Well, they were searching for certainty, and the certainty that they found, a certainty that filled them with a conviction from the Holy Spirit was the certainty of standing on the Word of God. That's where they found the place to stand, that they could endure the shocks of the world, the tempests, the storms, whatever came their way, they could stand because they were standing on the one thing that can't be moved. When everything else, when heaven and earth pass away, the words of Jesus still endure. And so they were very happy to stand on that Word. And it should be our great joy, too. The, you know, the word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever. What do we find in the gradual for this coming Sunday? The gradual is from Psalm 80. And for some reason, the people who put it together decided to uh, reverse the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit originally had, you know, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You are enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Stir up your might, O Lord, and come. Well, they sort of dropped out the Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh bit, and they put up front, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth, stir up your might. This Sunday, we didn't have a stir up in the prayers, but we have a stir up in the gradual. Here it is. Stir up your might and come to save us. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, recognizing that the one who is coming is coming to be the great shepherd of his flock. But we're praying, come, Lord, come, stir up your might, come, save us. It's the same theme that we've heard all the way from the first Sunday in Advent with the hosannas of the pilgrims crying out to Jesus as he entered in Jerusalem. It's the same, lift up your head, your redemption's drawing near. Now in the gradual for the day, we're crying out, come, come save us. Come bring us this comfort which you've spoken about in that first reading. Come and bring us that life. Bring us the word that will never end. We're back in Psalm 85 for the appointed Psalm of the day. Yeah, Psalm 85, verses 1 to 13. So, Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. There's a beautiful tie into the theme of the day. That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. 
but let them not turn back to folly. And this is the verse that is the antiphon, so the key verse of the psalm. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is near. The birth of Christ is near. And when the birth of Christ comes, remember the cry of Gloria that's going to come from the sky, which during the days of Advent, we're missing in the divine service. We're like, oh, we want to hear that Gloria again. You know, being away from it for several days makes our hearts long for it all the more. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. The fathers always took that as both. Christ is of twofold race. He is eternal from the Father. He's the righteousness that looks down from the sky. But he is also human faithfulness to God, sprung up from the earth, from the womb of his mother. Here is a human life that will fully be faithful to the Father. So this verse encapsulates the two natures. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and it will make his footsteps away beautiful picture that the life of Christianity is the life of following the footsteps of Christ as he leads us through suffering, through sickness, through death, into everlasting life, into the joy of his Father's kingdom. Take us into the epistle, 1 Corinthians 4, the first five verses. Yeah, kind of a strange epistle, we might think, for this day, but important words to hear. This is how one should regard us, Paul speaking of himself and his co-workers as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Just remember that that word mysteries is the way the, the ancient church referred to all the sacraments. Well, plus also the great doctrines of salvation. So like the incarnation was a mystery. Christ's death on the cross, a mystery. The two natures in Christ, a mystery. Baptism, a mystery. Eucharist, a mystery. The absolution, a mystery. So, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found successful. No, that's not what it says. That they be found trustworthy. That's what God is looking for in the administration of his gifts, that those who administer them be doing so with integrity according to the direction God himself has given. And Paul adds, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact... I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, he says, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then what a shocker at the end. When we hear that statement, we think, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And when you think about the Lord disclosing the secrets of the heart, but Paul ends it with, then each will receive his commendation from God. And we know the commendation that Jesus intends to give at the end, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little. Now I put you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So it speaks here, especially to those who are in the office of the ministry as stewards of Christ, that they should strive to be faithful and that they should avoid being premature in their judgments. They know the one who is standing at the door waiting to come. He is the judge. It's his job to bring the light, the things that are now hidden in the darkness. So I got to ask why that particular apostolic admonition in the third Sunday of Advent, how does it fit? I like to think of these epistles that sort of go off on their own like this as a grace note for the day. It does stress that the Lord is coming and that he is going to bring to light 
the things hidden in darkness. That is an Advent theme. It was enough of an Advent theme that when they put together this lectionary, probably sometime before the reign of Charlemagne, these things are already in place, these readings. We have it selected for this day. A reminder, there is a judge who's coming, and we're not the judge. He's the judge, and he will bring to light everything that's now hidden in darkness. I think we hear that and we immediately think of the sins of our life that are maybe secret, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it means all the things we prayed in the collect that he would lighten the darkness of our hearts by his gracious visitation, by his coming. And there are things that we just don't understand. They weigh us down. They darken our hearts, events and things that we don't get the ways of God in this or that thing. You know, why, why did God allow that? And we can be so down by that. And in place of that, the, you know, Paul is saying, be patient. The judge, he's here, he's coming. And when he comes, all the things that are now darkness and confusing to you will be made manifest in light. I know I use the example all the time, but I can't think of a better one from Joseph. If you're Joseph and sitting in prison at this moment and you're like, God, what happened to the promises you made me? Remember, they were going to fall down in front of me, my family. And here I sit, forgotten in prison. What's going on? It's like, well, just wait. The judge knows what he's doing. And when the moment of indication comes, it will be a moment where the darkness is dispelled. And in that moment for Joseph, he all of a sudden looked at it and go, oh, now I see. You knew what you were doing all the time. How about that? And you had me just where I needed to be in order to be a blessing to my brothers and to my father. We are talking with Pastor Will Whedon. He is helping us look forward to the third Sunday in Advent, according to the one-year lectionary. We are quickly approaching that gospel reading in Matthew chapter 11. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. When Christ came to earth, he did not come as a fully formed man. Rather, he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He became a lowly embryo and thereby in this act made every child a gracious gift of God. No asterisks, no footnotes. To learn more about the blessing of children, pick up the December issue of the Lutheran Witness. cph.org slash witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois, is a congregation of broken yet redeemed sinners who gather weekly to receive God's love and mercy. You won't find anything fancy here. We don't worship according to the latest trends. We follow the patterns of worship the church has used for millennia. We don't tell you to become holy like us. We invite you to be a sinner like us. Jesus delivers his forgiveness. That's what you'll find here every week for you. More information at OurSaviorMilford.com. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The Faith, Once for All, Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Beautiful Savior Lutheran, Milton, Washington. Emmaus Lutheran, Redmond, Oregon. Grace Lutheran, McPherson, Kansas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Iowa Falls, Iowa. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Brady, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Chehalis, Washington. Redemption Lutheran, Battle Creek, Michigan. St. John Lutheran, Springfield, Pennsylvania. St. Paul Lutheran, Sevierville, Tennessee. And Trinity Lutheran, Tryon, North Carolina. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are in the one-year lectionary looking forward to the third Sunday in Advent with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. So, Will, before we get to the gospel reading, we pause briefly for the Alleluia verse. Yeah, this cry of joy. Remember, the Alleluia is a cry of greeting to the Christ who is coming among us in the reading of the gospel itself. So we're going to hear the very, the, you know, ipsissima verba of Christ in the gospel. We're going to hear his own words. And so we stand up and cry out to greet him as he's coming among us. And our prayer is just taken right from the same psalm that was used in the gradual. So, alleluia, 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 stir up your might and come to save us. This plea with the Lord that he would come and bring his salvation to us, and we're crying out to him with our alleluias. Then the gospel, Matthew 11. So this is either verses 2 to 10 or 2 to 11. In this case, I think it honestly makes sense to add on the 11th verse. Let me just give it to you. Now, When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, 
Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And then the optional verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay, every year this reading provokes a firestorm of discussion on the internet as pastors argue about what's the best way to interpret what's going on here. And I kind of followed the, 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 the uh, can I just share my trajectory of understanding this, Todd? Is that okay? When I first read this and, and was first preaching on it, I kept thinking of an incident in my childhood. I was, oh my goodness, in kindergarten. And uh, this kid lived up and over, he was on the other side of the hill from the street where my house was. We're on the same street, but he's up and over. And we were walking home one day and I was being typical Lala kid. I was just, you know, gathering up some beautiful buttercups that were just in bloom all around to give them to my mom, right? You know, and I didn't see Michael sneaking up behind me and he snuck up behind me and pushed me down and he grabbed hold of the buttercups out of my hand and he started to, he was taking them away. And just at that moment, I remember looking and seeing, oh, my big brother Maupin was coming down the road in his car. And I thought, Michael, you are so dead. And I remember Maupin kind of slowed down and paused and he looked at me and then he just kept on driving. And I was like, well, Maupin, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, this kid, he just took my, 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 my buttercups over for mom, you know? And, and I was just so upset that he wasn't doing all the things that I thought he should do for me as a big brother, but he, he left me there on my own. And I just kind of discouragedly trudged up the hill home without any buttercups to give to mom. So <laughs> that picture I've always had in my mind of, I thought, well, does that describe what John the Baptist is feeling? There he is in prison. He talked about how the Lord's going to clear his threshing floor. He's going to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And, and is he really just tired of waiting and saying, now, where's the fire, Lord? I mean, uh, what are you going to do about my? I'm in prison now. Don't you care? What are you doing? Just lollygagging around there in Galilee and not doing something to bring in the kingdom and save me. That's how I thought that the passage should be read. And then I started reading Luther and then Chemnitz and Gerhardt, and I checked in the fathers, and and over and over again, this point was driven home to me that that is a total misreading of, of the facts. And the way that they sort of got at the facts was like this. Before you accuse John the Baptist of succumbing to unbelief to make yourself feel better about the fact that you doubt sometimes, stop and ask yourself this. Was John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb? Yes. Did John the Baptist hear the voice of God the Father speak when Jesus was baptized and announced from heaven that this was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased? Yes. Did John the Baptist see the Holy Spirit descend as a dove. And had God given him the promise that the one you see, the Spirit descending as a dove on, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Yes, John had all of those experiences. So rather than attributing John with unbelief, stop and think about what John's dealing with here. John is in prison and who's there with him? Who's sticking to him? 
his disciples. They don't want to leave their master. Even though John had tried to point them away from him to Jesus repeatedly, right? That's the Lamb of God. Look, there's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And yet here the disciples were with him and they tried to defend John's honor when he was, you know, they heard Jesus is baptizing more people than John. John, what are you going to do about this guy? He's taking, he's becoming more popular than you. And John was like, you guys don't get it. I need to decrease. He needs to increase. Well, they, they weren't having that. And so as John is sitting in prison and his followers are right there, he decides to give them an important lesson. He asks a question through them to Jesus. Now, Todd, you're a teacher. Do you ever ask a question of people that you already know the answer to, but you're helping them try to find the answer? All the time. All the time, right? I just did it to you. (laughs) We do this all the time. And it's a common technique of any teacher. And so John had to know. He called Jesus the Lamb of God. He knows it's not going to end well for him. Remember what they did to lambs, right? I mean, you remember this, right? They, they slaughter lambs. Jesus is the lamb of God and John's the forerunner. It doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize John's headed for a world of trouble. And John was probably thinking, what's going to become of these guys when I'm no longer here? I need them to know where they can go. And so he sends them to Jesus with the question, well, are you the one who is to come? Or are we supposed to be looking for someone else? And Jesus, I think, perfectly understands what John's trying to do. And so his response is, go and tell John what you hear and see. He's going to make them witnesses to John. And so what's going on around them? Well, Isaiah 35 is busting out all over. The blind are receiving their sight. Lame people are leaping up and walking and lepers They are cleansed. Their skins become like babies again. Deaf people hear. Even dead people are raised up. Jesus is the defeat of death in human flesh. And sweetest of all, the poor, that is, the poor miserable sinners, they have good news preached to them. The poor hear about the God who loves them so much that he sends his son to be the lamb of God, as John proclaimed, to be the one who carries away the sin of the whole world. And as they hear this, Jesus adds at the end, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Probably aimed at those very disciples. I know I don't look like much, but look at what's going on with me. Look at the miracles that are tumbling out all around me, everywhere I go. Stop and think about what this means, and then you will understand. And then, when the disciples of John go back to tell John all this, we're not told anything about that engagement, but I wonder if it went something like, oh, really? Really? You mean, you mean he's exactly the one I told you he was back then? Oh, Excellent. Well, don't know for sure if John was being sarcastic with them or not. But as they leave, Jesus is reflecting on John because Jesus knows, as he knows all things, he knows that John does not have long for this world. 
Have you ever really thought about the life of John from the standpoint of how we usually view human life? The guy, he didn't have a real home. According to tradition, his father was martyred early. John's raised out in the wilderness. He eats this mega weird diet. He wears funky clothes that are, they have to be uncomfortable. Everything about him screams, this world is not the be all and end all folks. This is not what you need to prepare for. He has this ministry that God sends him to do. Jesus says he's the Elijah who was to come. So he is fulfilling the role of Elijah and turning the children back to the fathers and turning the people of Israel back to the God who had made them at the beginning a people through Abraham. And so as you think about John's life, his ministry was short. I mean, it was not a real long time. And then it was over. He preached the law. Herod didn't want to hear the law and had him locked up. And then, of course, the conniving of the dancing girl and her mom. And in the end, the head on the platter. And that's the life of the one that Jesus calls the prophet. He asks the people, so what you go out to see, you know? What you go out to see? Was he a reed shaken by the wind? Did John put his finger on the opinion polls to figure out what would be the popular opinion to, to express? No. Did you go out to see a guy who was dressed in soft clothing? That word soft there is, um, that means like effeminate. It was, I mean, I guess if we were being politically incorrect, we say, did you go out to see the guy in faggy clothes? And that seems to be a specific slam at King Herod who liked to dress up and nice and wear soft clothing and all that. That's why Jesus says, those guys are in King's palaces as in read between the lines, folks. And then he says, what did you go out to see then? A prophet? Yeah, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one. This is the one of whom it is written, I'm sending my messenger before your face, and he's going to prepare the way before you. And then Jesus closes that whole thing out with, guys, there's never been another one like him. Never, never of those born of women understand in the natural way. He's not saying greater than himself. Of those born of women in the natural way, there has never been one greater than John the Baptist. And you know what? Those who are in the kingdom of God still end up being greater than him. And that's like, whoa, what did you just say? It's like, yeah, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John never got to be baptized into Christ. He never got to eat the Lord's body or drink the blood. He never got the forgiveness of his sins in that same way that it's been delivered to us. He didn't get to see the Lamb of God suffer and die on Calvary and expiate the sin of the entire world. All the stuff that's our joy and our daily delight. He just didn't get a chance to participate in it yet. He gets left in the Old Testament. He's left in the Old Testament. That is exactly right. He's still anticipatory. But Jesus says for you guys in the time of the fulfillment, you got it even better than John. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Advent. We'll talk a little bit more about John's ministry after this. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. 
Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Under a starlit sky in Bethlehem, a divine event unfolded. We read from Luke 2-7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. As we ponder these words, we're reminded that the Savior was born in the midst of ordinary surroundings, yet it was extraordinary. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may this Advent season fill your life with the extraordinary, even amid the ordinary. Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Public Radio Choir with the hymn Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's from a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany Season hymns. We'll send you this new LPR Choir recording and our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, for a year-end donation of $250 or more. You can make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. You can also make a financial contribution by check Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening and thanks for including the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. So the point is well taken that in terms of the world's view of success, John the Baptist is nothing that the world would promote in any way whatsoever and his life is snuffed out we would say, you know, cut short. Untimely, we would say, right? Yeah. Yes, but by prophetic standards, no one since Jonah had a ministry like John the Baptist. The the whole city of Jerusalem, the entire region of Judea, go out to him, and just exactly as it was promised, and this is what I was preaching yesterday, just exactly as God had promised of John the Baptist, it all came true, which would have served as a sign to anyone paying attention that the Messiah is 
just around the corner. And oh, that, yeah. that gives some poignancy to John's words where my job is done. I'm going to decrease and he's going to increase. And the way he characterized himself where he would speak of Christ, he says, you know, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom, he stands by and, and he rejoices when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He says, so th this joy of mine's full. I mean, I can't get any better. I'm the best man here telling the bride that this is your bridegroom, introducing Jesus as indeed the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And that's just one of the most beautiful things about John. And I do want to dwell on one more thing with this. With, if you think about Herod really thought when he chopped off John's head, I bet he said to himself, well, I won't be hearing any more from him, will I? Ha! <laughs> you know, in all the centuries ever since, the voice of John the Baptist has not been silenced. It continues to sound. It sounds in the church every Advent, yes, to be sure. But even in the divine service, it sounds out every Sunday as we come to the table crying out the words John used when he pointed to Christ, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is far from silent. His preaching of repentance has continued in the world. And you just can't stop the word that endures forever by chopping off the head of the guy who speaks it. That word's going to continue to live and enliven. And that's exactly what it's done. What would you like to say about some of the hymns we will be singing this coming Sunday? Now, a couple of them that are so worth noting. So let's, let's start with the hymn of the day. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Medieval hymn. So this was originally then sung in the daily office, not at the divine service. But that's a Lutheran innovation, remember, that to take the hymns from the daily office and to literally move them into the divine service to give the people an opportunity to be preaching, to be responding to the word and proclaiming it to one another. So the hymn goes out, Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is near, we hear it say. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. That fits very well with what we heard as the epistle from the first week of Advent, Romans 13. Then, startled at the solemn warning, let the earthbound soul arise. Christ, its son, our Old Testament reading for last week, all sloth dispelling shines upon the morning skies. Then here's John the Baptist. See the lamb so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all, to be forgiven. So, when next he comes in glory and the world is wrapped in fear, which we heard about last week, he will shield us with his mercy and with the words of love draw near. Honor, glory, might, dominion to the Father and the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run. Just a beautiful summation of the message of the Baptist. And it echoes the proper preface for Advent that, um, you know, we prepare, we should use this time of this day of grace in preparation so that we do not experience that last day as a day of wrath. Two other hymns that really deserve mention on this day, of course, both center around the Baptist our Old Testament reading began, comfort, comfort, so of course the hymn, comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace, thus saith our God, comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows load, speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them, tell her that her sins I cover, that her warfare now is over, yes, 
her sins our God will pardon, blotting out each dark misdeed. All that well deserved his anger, he no more will see or heed. She hath suffered many a day, now her griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever-springing gladness, as in rejoice, gaudete. Uh, it ties so beautifully to the theme of the day. And the other one that is a perfect fit for this particular Sunday is the jaunty tune, On Jordan's Bank the Baptist Cry announces that the Lord is nigh. Awake and hearken, for he brings glad tidings of the King of Kings. Then cleansed be every life from sin. Make straight the way for God within. Let us all our hearts prepare for Christ to come and enter there. Just such a beautiful hymn that celebrates everything that Christ is coming to do for us. And John is the big pointer on the way. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. On the other side of the break, Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. We will move from the one-year lectionary to the three-year lectionary and look forward to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.